Hello and welcome to Almost Professional, a pre-professional podcast. I'm sorry, sorry. Laugh. sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, it's I okay. liked it. I got all excited. Um, so I, you just heard my guest today is Kristen Bush. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, hi everyone. So Kristen has agreed to talk to us today about her experiences in graduate school. And so, what graduate degree did you receive? So I received a master's in social work. The specific title, though, was social enterprise and administration mm-hmm. from Columbia University School of Social Work. Okay. And good. So was that like a? Well, we'll talk about this later in more detail. That was like a concentration within a larger NSW program. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, cool. And and what do you currently do? And currently, I'm an academic advisor mm-hmm. within the College of Arts and Science, and I also am the assistant director of the Academic Achievement Program. Wonderful. Good. And we'll talk about that more. And I also want to say, too, if there's, like, programs or things you want to plug at the end, just let us know. We can talk about them, too, at the end of our conversation. So, but I do want to start as kind of one of the goals of this podcast is to help students learn about how people got into particular graduate degrees and not just kind of their experience in graduate school, but how they ended up there throughout their undergraduate preparation where our students currently are right now. So, first tell me, I mean, I know because you you are not afraid to talk about it. Where did you go to undergraduate? I went to Duke University University. and I got my BA in psychology. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, when you were at Duke, was graduate school something you were kind of always thinking about, something you thought about once you were there? How did that fit into your overall, I guess, pre-professional planning or experience there? Right. So, I was one of those people who came in, like, knowing I thought I knew that I wanted to be a psychologist Mm -hmm. I wasn't quite clear on what the pathway was um but once I got there I got several mentors and realized that I needed to get a doctorate I needed to get involved in research Mm -hmm. and so I found studies that um that I could work on that also Mm -hmm. met some of my other interests so I worked on a study that we worked with um particularly African-American kids and parents Um, teaching them different parenting practices and things like that. So I always tried to find research studies to get involved in, and I tried to find things that met other interests that Mm -hmm. I had. Okay. I'm actually curious because, I I mean, it's probably both experiences where we have a lot of undergraduates coming in wanting to do psychology, wanting to be a psychologist. What did that represent to you? Yeah. I mean, I always knew that I wanted to empower my community. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was always kind of interested in the questions that psychology asks. I remember growing up, this is going way back, and watching, (laughs) my nerd is about to come out, (laughs) watching, um, like, Batman the Animated Series. Uh Uh-huh. But something I liked about that cartoon was that each of the villains almost had, like, a psychological, you know, disorder, if you will. And so it was always just interesting to think about why do people become the way that they do? Mm -hmm. Why do they make the choices that they make? Mm -hmm. How does, you know, upbringing and environment and even, like, genetics play a role in that? And so, psychology has just made sense. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know when I said it's going to be this, <laughs> but I do remember that psychology made sense for me. Yeah, but you're, like, interested in behavior, and that's exactly. where you behavior. So, exactly. funny. I guess that's true, Batman, because I feel like also, I don't know if this is when she was introduced, but I think Batman introduced the character, the, com- the cartoon introduced the character of Harley Quinn, who's an actual psychiatrist, right? Exactly. So, there was, like, this whole culture around psychiatry that's interesting that's true um that's true (laughs) Um, but anyway so you're in college and you mentioned it sounds like your initial sense of your destination was going into a phd program Mm -hmm. was that more of like a clinical phd or like a research phd somewhere kind of in the middle well i mean i think at the time I first thought it was research because I didn't even know about clinical PhDs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then one of my mentors who I was working on the study with her, 
she went to school to get her PsyD, and then I mm-hmm. started to learn more about um, other types of graduate and doctoral programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started to learn, too, that not all research had to be quantitative. Some mm-hmm. of it could be qualitative. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I got involved on one study, it's kind of like the world of yeah. doctoral programs opened up to me, and I started to learn more and more. Mm-hmm. But what I found out after working on probably like three studies was that I, I didn't like research mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that I couldn't even imagine myself um, like doing that on a day-to-day basis. I still like the direct client interaction, mm-hmm. um, but I just couldn't imagine myself doing the research piece. And so mm-hmm. then it was kind of like, so then what next? Yeah. You know? well, yeah that's interesting. Do you remember kind of how you got involved in that initial research experience. You talked about mentors mm-hmm. being very important to helping you think about what your career aspirations are, and that's, you, I think, the case for a lot of students. Mm-hmm. How did you feel those relationships first were built, and then those opportunities first arose to sure. have those research experiences? So, I mean, when I first came in, Duke is a, a, a big research institution. Mm-hmm. So, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I almost feel like it's just in the ethos, like the yeah. air. Like, you come on, and there's like this. Yeah, like that's what you have to do. Why wouldn't you do it? Especially if you're in a field like psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I believe, like, being in some of the introductory classes, they talked about research studies. They talked about um, ways that you can get involved. I knew enough to know that I didn't know everything I should be getting involved in. So I remember asking, like, somebody that maybe was, like, a, the equivalent of a CL or something, mm-hmm. um, what should I be doing? And mm-hmm. then they referred me to talk to TAs. I talked to TAs. They told me I should be doing research. Mm-hmm. Um, they told me how I could go about doing research. I had work study. They told me that could cover, mm-hmm. you know, that could actually pay and fund mm-hmm. me doing research. Um, so then I kind of bounced around. Like, I applied and bounced around to two different studies. And I remember not really liking them, but kind mm-hmm. of just doing it. And then going to one of those fairs, like those mm-hmm. college fairs where they were doing, like, on-campus recruitment or on-campus mm-hmm. jobs. And uh, the person who became my mentor, she saw me walking by and she like literally picked me out of the <laughs> she picked me out of the crowd. And it was fantastic. Not only did that really shape the last two years of my um, undergraduate career and it mm-hmm. led me to applying to what would be Duke's equivalent of the DERF, mm-hmm. um, but I also found really good friends from mm-hmm. that study too. Um, so research was a big part of my undergraduate experience. And so was this a study you mentioned on African-American, was it African-American families? Or mm-hmm. do you want to talk about families. what that was a little bit? Sure, sure. So, I mean, what we were doing was it was a parenting program. So it, it had a clinical component, I guess, and mm-hmm. then it also had the research component. Um, so it was a parenting program for families of young African-American children, and it was a strengths-based program, so kind of like, taking the strengths of um, African-American culture, but use incorporating racial socialization practices, because I believe that research shows that, you know, students who have healthy racial socialization practices actually do better academically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was helping parents to define what that is, mm-hmm. helping them to think through what are the messages that they're telling their children and preparing them for in terms of going to predominantly white institutions mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. existing in the world. Um, but also, like I said, coupling it with those kind of like um, culturally based parenting practices that they're already doing. And so then from there, you know, there was a test group that just got, you know, a bare bones parenting program. And mm-hmm. then there was also the, I guess, the, you're the doctorate, the, um, 
Oh, like the There's the control, control group, group that got the bare bones, and then there's actually the, the experimental group. Experimental group, yes. <laughs> All the psych people <laughs> will know this very well. Who got the the piece with the racial socialization mm-hmm. as well as like the culturally um, competency piece. Mm-hmm. And so then we were looking at the difference in the groups and looking at how their children were adjusting, Mm -hmm. how they were internalizing certain messages. So anybody who's familiar with that doll study where Mm -hmm. African-American children as young as the age of four will say like the white doll is the good doll and the black doll Mm -hmm. is the bad doll. We were looking at does this program help change some of these things Mm -hmm. that we're seeing. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, It is. But it sounds like, was this this kind of the moment where you were, as you were doing this project, you say you're interested in the client focused stuff the thing where you're working with your subjects providing services but not so much in like the research aspects of that is this where yeah, that was because i'm also doing a lot of data entry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which i'm sure many of your listeners yeah, are doing, doing too sure that's where i would start you know as you put in so many zeros and ones you start to wonder to yourself could i really like i'm an extroverted person mm-hmm. i couldn't see myself doing that um and then more and more i thought you know do i want to spend X number of years going after my PhD. Um, do I really even want to do clinical and that kind mm-hmm. of strict, um, like clinical tests kind of? Well, combined. clinical tests as well as because um, the my researcher, the primary researcher, she also did, um, she also did um, what's it called, one on one like counseling. counseling. Mm-hmm. So I was there was something about it that just didn't quite seem to fit me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like me-ish, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Um, Wait, is this the one-on-one counseling as well? That yeah, like I, I kind of got exposed to the whole, the full, mm-hmm. the whole enchilada. Yeah, <laughs> and so it, it felt like it was a part of what I was interested in, but it didn't fully encompass all my interests because mm-hmm. even you know, as an undergraduate, although I didn't minor in any of these things, I was taking a lot of religious studies classes. Mm-hmm. I was taking a lot of um, Africana studies classes. Um, and so psych was a component of it, but it just didn't seem to me to perfectly map on to what my interest lies, mm-hmm. lay, or where my interest lay. So, um, yeah, by my senior year, I think I was more open. And I was also left feeling like I know how to do this research thing, but I don't feel competent in terms of me being able to work one-on-one with an individual and really help them yeah. through some... Exactly. Interesting. And so then, as you're going through this process, I imagine part of it was because you mentioned specifically like realizing the PhD might not be right for you. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing then part of that was thinking about what the other graduate school options for you were. I mean, right. do you remember what your process of exploring that was? Were you talking to people in the field? Were you talking to other professors? How did you learn what other options there were for you based on your interest? I did a lot of things. I had a, so my favorite psych class was abnormal psychology and mm-hmm. my professor, he was another mentor of mine. So, I mean, he was trying to get me to like actually work at a psychiatric hospital and I knew that's not also but I did things I did like teach for America I um, did a mentorship program um, with middle school girls I worked actually at a home for students who were involved in the criminal justice system uh-huh. um, and it was through like you know Catholic charities or one of those organizations mm-hmm. but it was basically students who had been removed from their families because of some kind of family crisis mm-hmm. and placed in this home temporarily so I went there, like, I think it was two or three times a week working with those students. So I was doing a lot of, I guess, I don't know exactly, like practice-based clinical, mm-hmm. direct service type of um, 
positions along with the research, mm-hmm. which I think helped me to see, like, okay, I'm doing all of these different things. I have internships. I have, you know, um, oh, I also did my own independent research mm-hmm. over a summer. So mm-hmm. working with men in prison, <laughs> I kind of like did the whole campaign. Yeah. Um, and so from there, I was able to figure out which of these things brings me the most joy, which of these things is actually closely aligning with where my interests and passions lay. And all these positions were these things, I kind of talked about this already with the first research position, were these kind of you going out and finding the opportunities yourself? Were Mm -hmm. people bringing you opportunities once you've already kind of done an initial project or made the connection with them? It was both. I mean, I almost feel like it's like a snowball thing. Mm -hmm. Like, once Mm -hmm. you get involved in one thing, you hear about another thing. So, once I was on um, the parenting program research study, then I found out about, you know, Duke's version of the DERF, which mm-hmm. allowed me to do my own independent research study. The professor who ended up being my advisor for that taught a class where you had to have a field placement. Mm-hmm. That led me to getting the position working with students involved in the criminal justice system. So it was kind of just like, it's a network that expands. So as yeah. I got involved and was talking to professors, talking to mentors, I'd find out about other opportunities, you know. Yeah. And I imagine, too, part of it is that as you do more things, mm-hmm. people feel more comfortable giving you other things to do right. because they're like, well, oh, she's done this, so we know she can do this, and she can do this, and those opportunities kind of come from that confidence. Same thing with, like, grants. People always say you get one grant, someone's going to want to give you another grant because right. they're like, oh, they're a grant-worthy person. Exactly. Whatever that might mean. Yeah. Um, and so, so for, for your independent research project, you, what, what, yeah. what did you do for that? So, I mean, I was looking, <laughs> I was looking at, I mean, I laughed because, you know, in hindsight, it was, um, I was looking at black masculinity mm-hmm. and how do inmates um, enact, like, uh, play out masculinity in spaces where they're so confined. Mm-hmm. So is it similar to how we see um, people, I guess, performing masculinity in the outside world, is it different? Does it change? What are the kind of parameters of it? Mm-hmm. Um, how does it differ from other, you know, groups, enactments of masculinity? All of that. And the, that research interest stemmed off of a class, another class I had mm-hmm. taken. Um, I had a relationship with a dean. I actually developed this relationship when I went to go drop a class. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I went to go drop a stats class. <laughs> Uh-huh. And that class was so traumatic um, that <laughs> I ended up meeting several times with my dean. And when the time came for me to apply for this, you know, Duke's version of the DERF, it was great because I was working really closely with her. She was one of my advocates and champions. So people were telling me, you're crazy for wanting to go to prisons. At the time, I wanted to go to New York yeah. <laughs> and, and work in Rikers. Yeah. But just due to, you know, me not being able to find, I think it was like a contact who would be here in the summer. Even though I had emailed John Jay and mm-hmm. like, <laughs> um, I ended up doing it in Durham. And it was really eye-opening, like going yeah. through the IRB process. And then also working with the politics of prison, sure. um, it was eye-opening. But then also getting to hear from the inmates themselves about their experiences both in and outside of prison mm. was also very re- rewarding. So I think my biggest thing would be whatever you have an interest in, don't like don't give up on it. Like mm-hmm. Just tell as many people as possible. Tell your dean, tell your professor, tell your advisor, because you really don't know who has a connection or a friend or a, you know, a, an opportunity for you to uh, take advantage of. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, as you mentioned, that the relationship started with you kind of, not necessarily you being like, oh, I'm doing great and look at me. Right. Like, I want to drop this class because <laughs> I'm not doing well in it. 
that's also good too like students i think sometimes imagine they have to be perfect all the time to have like faculty professors be confident they can work with them sometimes a student coming and saying this is hard i need help right and then getting that help and through that process building that relationship can also be i think sometimes a valuable thing for students to be mindful of yeah um i was just like so so impressed by the wisdom of that remark that I lost my train of thought. Um, so I guess we can get to the end of undergraduate. So you're doing research projects, you're involved in internships, you're doing this kind of kind of fascinating and from my perspective, like really advanced research for an undergraduate to really be out there in the field in that way. It sounds like people already at Duke were like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" Yeah, you were doing it. Um, looking at the end of your undergraduate career. First of all, did you go directly from undergraduate into grad school? Absolutely not. You did not. Okay. So was that something you did kind of very mindfully or you just were like, I finished. Oh, I haven't thought about this. Now I have to figure out grad school. So there's a gap anyway. For me, it was 100% mindfully. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny because everybody in my life was like, just go straight. If you stop, you'll never go back. But Mm -hmm. in the back of my mind, I knew I was going to go back. So that wasn't even an, an issue for me. Um, I felt fried mm-hmm. one after undergrad, like the amount of reading that you have to do, just back-to-back classes. Um, I also felt like I, as a person, hadn't developed enough to be able to make the contribution that I wanted to make. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I needed more life experience. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, for people who are going into psychology because they also want to apply it, I just think life experience is invaluable. And actually working sure. with communities or working with whatever population that you're interested in is invaluable because as a 22 year old i mean <laughs> you might be working just imagine having a 25 year old therapist show <laughs> right exactly <laughs> like a 25 year old therapist and what if you're working with people who are 45 yeah. dealing with god only knows what like not to say you have nothing to offer them mm-hmm. but i just felt like i i needed some skill development <laughs> <laughs> so um i was ways to get that because I'm sure you know a lot of undergraduates feel similar to the way I felt it's kind of hard like people ask you what skills do you have you know Mm -hmm. and even though you're doing all of these things in undergrad and just you definitely should put it on a resume and they definitely do count as skills I didn't quite feel like I had like a refined skill set so I ended up doing a year of AmeriCorps VISTA which was the best decision of my life (laughs) Um, one, because AmeriCorps VISTA is both direct and indirect service. Mm -hmm. Um, so it actually, for me, it fit perfectly because I was interested in both like kind of doing meso level stuff. So program development. Mm -hmm. And like I said, thinking about how structures also influence development, um, as well as direct service or Mm -hmm. micro level. Mm -hmm. So it was fantastic. And I mean, I, I have heard of AmeriCorps, but mm-hmm. I'll admit that I don't necessarily have a clear sense of what it is generally, and also the AmeriCorps VISTA that you yeah. just mentioned specifically. What what was that experience like, or what did it involve you doing? So AmeriCorps VISTA, it's almost like a you get a stipend, and it's a almost like a year of service. Mm. And I remember when I went, there was a lot of taboo because people, I'm going to say this in case some of your listeners are listening, <laughs> people are like, oh, people of color, we don't have the luxury to do a year of service. I need to go out and work. And for a lot of people, that's the case. But for me, I, I think it's invaluable. I think it's invaluable to live, <laughs> uh, to really have to make ends meet. I think mm-hmm. it's invaluable to... Um, just I don't know to be in that mind frame and that framework and if you get a good placement which I had a phenomenal placement 
I don't know. You're getting you're getting a stipend to basically learn. Like that's yeah. how I looked at it. Mm. I didn't look at it as I'm just giving away my time. I looked at it as this is a continuing education type of thing. Do you mind telling us what your placement was? Sure. So I worked at an organization called Read Boston, mm-hmm. and so what we were doing is I was developing a culture of literacy and after school program. So that's mm. everything from building libraries, training their staff, all the way from the executive director to the actual um, like counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, leading different like read-alouds and things like that with um, students so what I liked about it it hit every single level Mm. you know so whether I was interested in working one-on-one with students one-on-one staff I did that you're working with like I said senior directors you're building libraries so there's just a lot of different skill sets from organizing you know program management budgeting that you learn that Mm -hmm. you don't that you may or may not get from undergrad Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, it sounds like, as you say, it's a really comprehensive experience, which hopefully, it sounds like, refine your skills. And I guess that's the next question. Do you feel like this experience in AmeriCorps Vista, did it help clarify what graduate education meant for your larger professional trajectory or the kind of graduate education you wanted to pursue? It did, trajectory? because that was the first time I got exposed to people in social work. Mm-hmm. Like, um, at Duke, social work didn't exist. Um <laughs> And, you know, I, I guess on a different podcast, <laughs> I can weigh in personally about my feelings about that. But um, what I liked about what people were telling me about social work was that it was such a flexible degree. Mm. Um, like, I could have gone for a master's in counseling, but there are certain skill sets that I didn't feel like I was going to get mm. in that uh, in that program. Whereas with social work, I could get counseling, and then I came to find out <laughs> that I could get more of these business type of skills. Yeah, like administrative skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which to me is invaluable because if I wanted to go and do like one-on-one counseling in the future, I could do that. Mm-hmm. But then if I wanted to be like a dean, mm-hmm. I could do that. Or if I wanted to do something, you know, around social enterprise, I could do that. Like it just gave me so many options. So you have this year in AmeriCorps. Were you then applying to graduate schools like during that year or after that year? No. So that position led me to work at a place called Tenacity, which mm-hmm. is where I would really say like <laughs> mm-hmm. I got like a wake up call. Mm-hmm. So I was basically a site director. It was an after school program um, that had a literacy and tennis focus. I know kind tennis. of a strange combo. but <laughs> Did you play tennis? I didn't at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So I was the literacy coordinator. Okay, okay, okay. Not the tennis coordinator. Kind of weird that they plant those two together, but the whole idea, I mean, in a nutshell, is literacy and sports. And the whole idea mm-hmm. is that with those combinations, you're learning both life skills and, like, academic skills that can mm-hmm. help you. And um, we work with middle schoolers, so that can help you throughout the middle school time and then get into these prestigious Boston high schools, which mm-hmm. is where this program took place. Um and so I was working with some serious, like, I had, like, cultural divides within my <laughs> after-school program. So one group not getting along with another group. And how do we even work to bring this together, like, do a lot of conflict resolution? Um, I had students who were involved in gangs. I had students who were involved, who had, like, serious um, domestic violence yeah. in the home. I had students who um, were from, were involved in, like, um, the what is it called foster care system and we're going to get kicked out so I, I it just ran the gamut yeah. and from there I mean I think I was also <laughs> um, one year out of college mm-hmm. like supervising people everyone from other AmeriCorps mm-hmm. staff to 
I wasn't AmeriCorps at this time, but AmeriCorps staff yeah. to full-time staff. Yeah. So it was like a crash course then. <laughs> in everything from supervision to counseling to what have you and again i realized i needed some some skill (laughs) skill development which to me is great i really think if you're again if you're going into psychology at some point you got to get out of the books and Mm -hmm. you have to actually test what you think you know Mm -hmm. and um develop it in real time so however you get that you know, um, whether it's doing an outside program or setting up a, a practice on the side or starting off as a coach mm-hmm. while you're getting your, you know, PhD, I think it's invaluable. Yeah. And so in this program that in Tenacity, when you're in Boston, did you start to realize that some of those skills are things you have to get like academically? Because you mentioned building skills in a real world setting. Mm-hmm. And so at what point did it feel like that was supplemented by, I guess, an academic experience where you'd be getting skills. Well, my particular path, my kind of revelation was twofold. One, I realized that in order to enact the change that I wanted to make, I had to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And that's at the, you know, the people who make decisions. Mm-hmm. And so in order to do that, I needed an advanced degree. Mm-hmm. So that was part of my decision to go mm-hmm. back. Um, and another thing is, you know, a lot of people told me, <laughs> you're not going to get the seat. Well, I don't know if I should say. A lot of people said, you know, you may or may not get the skills that you want in social work school. Um, but for me, I felt like I need to know, like, what are the what are the overarching kind of themes? Mm-hmm. I need like a little bit of a of a scholastic background to mm-hmm. to some of these things that I'm encountering. Yeah. I need to know what are the resources to even start beginning to put together like a treatment plan and modality yeah. for people instead of just relying on <laughs> my instincts yeah. and colleagues. Um, so for me, it just made sense. You mm-hmm. know, it made sense that I think additional schoolwork could both help me get the credentials that I need, but also give me like the academic, a little bit more in-depth uh, framework that I need to solve some of these more sophisticated and challenging issues. Yeah. Well, I guess, as you said, it kind of maybe expose you to things that wouldn't necessarily come up if you were just going off of your instincts or what yeah. your colleagues knew, because there could be this larger world of resources, programs, exactly. modalities that. That's it for part one of our interview with Kristen Bush. Want to find out what happens when Kristen actually makes it to graduate school? Then stay tuned for part two of our interview coming in a few weeks.